If you have your Bibles, go with me to Genesis chapter 39. We did begin a new series of messages last week uh, entitled Perseverance. And we're going to spend about four or five weeks on this looking at the life of Joseph. And so uh, a few of you may have been out of town last week since it was 4th of July weekend. And so let me bring you up to speed as to where we are. Last weekend, the young man Joseph left home to go be the field boss. And then he was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and sold into slavery. And so the young man Joseph was taken to Egypt there to serve as a slave. The very amiable, pious-hearted Mr. Theophilus Freeman, partner or co-signee of James H. Birch, and keeper of the slave pen in New Orleans, was out among his animals early in the morning. With an occasional kick of the older men and women, and many a sharp crack of the whip about the ears of the younger slaves, it was not long before they were all astir and wide awake. Mr. Theophilus Freeman bustled about in a very industrious manner, getting his property ready for the sales room, intending, no doubt, to do that day a rousing business. After being fed in the afternoon, we were again paraded and made to dance. One old gentleman who said he wanted a coachman appeared to take a fancy to me. The same man also purchased Randall. The little fellow was made to jump and run across the floor and perform perform many other feats, exhibiting his activity and condition all the time the trade was going on Eliza, his mother, was crying aloud and wringing her hands. She besought the man not to buy him unless he also bought herself and Emily. She promised in that case to be the most faithful slave that ever lived. The man answered that he could not afford it. And then Eliza burst into a paroxysm of grief and weeping plaintively. But it was of no avail. The man could not afford it. The bargain was agreed upon, and Randall must go alone. And then Eliza ran to him, embraced him passionately, kissed him again and again, and told him to remember her, all the while her tears falling in the boy's face like rain. Don't cry, Mama. I will be a good boy. Don't cry, said Randall, looking back as they passed out the door. What has become of the lad? God knows. It was a mournful scene indeed. I would have cried myself if I had dared. So writes Solomon Northup in his book, Twelve Years a Slave. And today the scriptures take us to another slave market. Not in the American city of New Orleans, but a slave market in ancient Egypt. And there within that market, waiting to be sold, is a young man named Joseph. Now, just a few days ago, the young man named Joseph left home. He was wearing fancy clothes. He was excited about being the field boss. He believed that God had shown him that he was destined to be a ruler. In fact, though he was the youngest in the family, he was going to be the ruler, the patriarch of his family. And so he went out into life with great confidence. He was ready to attack life and take it for all it was worth. But then whenever he met his brothers in Dotham, 
they betrayed him. He was thrown into a pit and now sold into slavery. And so now here sat that young man, Joseph, like an animal, sitting in a cage, waiting to see who would purchase him. It's amazing to me how quickly life can change. In the time that it takes to eat lunch, Joseph's life had completely and forever changed. He had gone from dreamer to survivor. He had gone from rich to poor, from freedom to captivity. He was living his life in the lap of luxury, and now he was in the pit of despair. He went from the arms of his family to the cold hands of strangers. He went from freedom to slavery. Verse 1 of chapter 39 reads, Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, and an Egyptian named Potiphar, the officer, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. So that morning, as Joseph left the slave pen and he began his new life, I envision him walking out of the dark room and going past the glorious pyramids of ancient Egypt. Perhaps they walked him through the markets and there he saw what life was like there in Egypt and he saw families, he saw children, he began to get his first taste of this new land that he was going to live in. And as he continued walking, they took him down the hill, down to the lush valley known as the Nile River Valley where the nice homes were built, where his new master Potiphar lived. And there, as he walked down that hillside, he saw for the first time the house that would become his prison, the house that would be his new home. And I'm sure Joseph, must have wondered as he was walking throughout those streets on the way to his new life, God, what are you doing to me? What is this all about? How did I get here? This this is not my life. This is not where I'm supposed to be. God, what is it that you are doing to me? His master Potiphar was a powerful man. He was captain of the guard for the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was the term they used for the Egyptian ruler. And so, no doubt, a a well-built, strong soldier, a leader among men, as captain of the guard, scholars tell us that uh, Potiphar was probably over the king's prison and kept watch over the king's slaves and the king's prisoners. Now, I want you to know, notice that God had a destination for Joseph. As a young man, God had given Joseph two dreams. And in those dreams, God had shown Joseph what his destination was going to be. Joseph was going to be the leader of the family. Joseph was going to be a great man. Joseph was going to be an individual that others bowed down to. That was God's destination point for Joseph. And Joseph had not misunderstood God. Joseph's dream was real. His experience was real. 
God had a destination. But God also had a journey for Joseph to go on. And that journey was going to involve betrayal. That journey involved pain. That journey involved slavery. That journey involved service. I think many times in life, we get so focused on the destination that we forget about the journey. And often, it is in the journey that we have our most memorable moments. It's often in the journey that we have the most fun. But we get so obsessed about where are we going and what is the destination point that we miss out on the journey. I see these couples, sometimes young, sometimes old. They start dating, and they get way too serious too quickly. They move in together and act like they're married even before they're married. They talk to each other like they're a married couple, and they're so obsessed with falling in love and finding the right somebody that they fast forward the clock, and they start living like they're married before they are instead of just enjoying the journey, getting to know one another, enjoying where they are right now. I see people raising kids, and I'm, I'm in the boat with you. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old in my house. And we're raising our kids, and we think to ourselves, you know what? This child's going to be mature and responsible. They're going to they're gonna clean their areas. They're going to be poised. They're going to speak to people. And we think to ourselves, uh, uh, that's who they are destined to be. That's who they're going to be. And then we look at them today, and we're like, that's not where they are. And we forget that, you know, your children don't come out of the womb responsible people. In fact, they come out of the womb pretty selfish. And they have to be taught. They're blank canvases. They have to be taught and trained. And they have to be guided along the way to to learn how to be that person that you envision them to be one day. And and it's a journey. Some days they're going to listen better than others. Some days they're going to obey better than others. But it's all part of the journey of helping people mature. You decide, you know what, I need to get in shape. I've gotten a little flabby. I need to go out and get in shape. And so you start running and and you're out there and you've been running for a couple days and you think, you know, I feel so good. This is great. Hey, I think I'm going to sign up for the Allen Marathon in January. I think I'm ready to go 26.2 miles, and and you envision yourself crossing that finish line and how great that would be for your family to be sitting there applauding as you cross the finish line. And you forget that today's goal is simply to make it to the stop sign and back, you know? But, But you get so obsessed about what can be that you don't even celebrate what's happening today. I mean, American society is obsessed with instant, aren't we? We want things right now. And and we forget that it takes hard work to achieve in life. And we also forget this, and this is what's really tragic. We forget that some of the most fun, some of the most enjoyable, some of those memorable moments occur on the journey. So enjoy the journey. Don't be obsessed with the destination. Enjoy where you are today. Before Joseph was ready to rule, before he was ready to reach his destiny, he had to learn to serve. Look at verse 32 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph. Now this is key to understanding the whole series. The Lord was with 
Joseph. Let's say that together on the count of three, a one and a two and a three. The Lord was with Joseph. Because the Lord was with Joseph, he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. And he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Potiphar had a nice little setup for himself here. He had found someone that he could trust, and he was able to entrust Joseph with his entire household. Whenever he came home, all that Potiphar had to worry about was what's for dinner. Joseph had everything else taken care of. And so Joseph had forged out a nice little life for himself. It wasn't ideal. It was far from home. It wasn't the original script that he had written, but he was comfortable, he was well-fed, and Joseph could go to bed at night, and he could think about the future, and he could say to himself, you know what, I'm okay, things are just fine, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to be okay right here. Well, at the end of verse 6, the Bible says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. So disregard the little guy that you saw in the video before the sermon, you know, he was kind of lumpy. Uh, Joseph, that, that wasn't Joseph, okay? Joseph was well-built. He was a handsome guy. And verse 7 says, after some time, his master's wife. Everybody say, uh-oh. His master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. And she said, sleep with me. Temptation slithered into Joseph's life. And I'm sure that that temptation looked good. I'm sure that that temptation was full of compliments. Joseph, you're so strong. Joseph, you're so smart. Joseph, you get me. And soon, she started texting him. Little text throughout the day. Sending him pictures of herself. And before you know it, she was flirting with him a little bit and just being playful whenever he was around. And then perhaps she uh, wore a little bit less clothing in the household and made sure that he noticed her cleavage and made sure that he noticed her shapely legs. And then before long, she began talking about her husband and how Potiphar walks, works long hours and he never talks to her and he doesn't understand her and he doesn't relate to her like Joseph does. And then came the proposition. Joseph, come on back to the back. Sleep with me. Verse 8 says, But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am, he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
So how could I do such a great evil and sin against who? God. Joseph realized that this was sin. Joseph realized that this would be adultery, that this was sin not just against Potiphar, but this would be sin against God. Verse 10 says, Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. And so she grabbed him by his garment. Now don't envision a shepherd's garment. Envision Egyptian wear. Okay, Joseph may not have worn a shirt. He probably had something that was just a, a white-type loincloth around him. So she grabs him by his garment, and she says, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. Now there's some real practical stuff here, guys and, and ladies. How do you react when temptation slithers into your life? How are you going to react when that person begins looking at you lovingly, when that temptation is there? Well, I want you to notice, first of all, that Joseph refused. Before she ever propositioned him, Joseph had already made up his mind that he was not going down that path. He says, look, Potiphar's given me everything in his household, but you're his wife, and this would be wrong for me. He had already thought about the situation, and he had already come to his conclusion. I have a little saying called decide to decide. Decide now what you're going to decide then. What happens to a lot of us is we wait until the emotions are stirred. We wait until the hormones are stirred, and then we start trying to make our decision. But no, go ahead and make your decision now. I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not going to be unfaithful to my family. I'm not going to be unfaithful to my God. When that situation comes, I'm going to go around it. I'm not going to go down that path of temptation. I've already decided that I'm going to refuse that in my life. He refused. But then noticed he resisted day after day. This went on. Joseph was in what we call a bad work environment. And there was no HR department. He couldn't file a sexual harassment case against her. He had to go to work day after day. And he had to stand his ground. I'm sure that many times before he went into the house Joseph prayed and he asked God, God, give me the strength today. Lord, please uh, help me to avoid her. Lord, help me to resist this in my life. Joseph was intentional day after day in resisting her advances. He had made up his mind to refuse and then he continued to resist. Well, eventually the situation culminated where he had no choice and Joseph ran. When the moment got too intense, he ran. Joseph got out of the car. Joseph called mom or dad and said, come pick me up. This young man that I'm on a date with, I don't need to be on a date with him. Joseph left the office and went home. Joseph was willing to quit his job if he needed to. Joseph unfriended her on Facebook 
because he didn't need to have her lurking in his life. He refused. He resisted. And then he ran. A great model for each of us. Because in most of our lives, temptation is going to slither in. There will be that opportunity. And whenever that opportunity comes across our path, refuse to go there. Resist it through the Holy Spirit and God's power. And run. If you have to change course, change course. But don't let that woman at the office, don't let that man that lives down the street destroy your family. Don't let them come in and take the life that God has given you. Refuse, resist, run if need be. But don't go down that path of temptation. Now surely, God, seeing Joseph's faithfulness, surely God, seeing his integrity and seeing how he did the right thing, surely at this point in the story, God is going to reward him. God's going to say, well done, Joseph, you did a great job, and now I'm going to pour blessing into your life because you've been so good and so faithful in all that you've done. But verse 13 says, when she saw that he left his garment with her and had run outside, she called the household servants in and said, look, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. And he came to me so he could sleep with me. And I screamed as loud as I could. And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. And she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. And when his master heard the story of his his wife told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious, and he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Now, it's interesting to me that two times now, Joseph has been betrayed. Two times now, he's been disrobed. Two times, he's been thrown into captivity. Potiphar, as the captain of the Pharaoh's guard, scholars tell me that he was over the king's prison. And it's interesting to me what prison he had Joseph thrown into. He had him thrown into the king's prison. It's also interesting to me the punishment. Whenever you would try to commit as a slave, uh, try to commit sexual assault against the master's wife, the punishment would not be imprisonment the punishment would be death. But Potiphar didn't kill him. Instead, he had him thrown in to his jail. Now, we're not exactly sure of all the details. The Bible says that Potiphar was furious against Joseph, and so maybe at least initially he was full of anger and believed his wife, and so he threw him in his prison because he wanted to torture Joseph and make sure that his every day of his life was miserable from here on out. Or maybe there was a part part of Potiphar, that's a hard word to say, part of Potiphar that didn't completely believe his wife. He knew his wife. He probably knew her character. And he had also seen Joseph's character. And so he throws him in prison. He reassigns him to a different place within his household. But poor Joseph. Joseph had worked hard. Joseph had done the right thing. Joseph was at church every Sunday. Joseph had Sandy Patty on his truck radio. 
I mean, Joseph was a good guy. He even had a fish on the back of his truck or chariot. Joseph had done what he was supposed to do. But here he is back in the pit. This doesn't seem fair. Does it seem fair to you? It doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, God, what's going on here? Hey, Joseph, once again, just like last week when five or six people were here, I have good news and I have bad. It's Fourth of July weekend. I have good news and I have bad news for you, Joseph. Here's the good news for you, Joseph. You're still alive. Yeah, your brothers could have killed you. Potiphar, he could have killed you. But you're still alive. You're still taking up space. You're still taking in air. You still have many, many years to live. You're still alive. But there's also bad news, Joseph. You're still alive. You hurt so bad. You're so depressed. You're so miserable. The script that you wrote for your life has changed so much that you wish you were dead, but you're still alive. Hey, Joseph, I have good news for you. God's dream for your life is still alive also. That dream that you had back at home where you would be the patriarch of your family and you would be a ruler and others would bow down before you and you were going to do great things, that dream for your life that came from God, that dream is still alive. Nothing's changed there. God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. God's dream that He gave you is still alive and well. But there's bad news, and that is that sitting in that prison cell, You have no idea what he's doing. You're not sure what he's doing to you. You're not sure why this has happened. This is not fair. This doesn't make sense. Good news for you, Joseph. There is joy. There is goodness. There is opportunity. There is love ahead. There are good moments for you to find even sitting in the jail cell, Joseph. There's a lot of good in your life. But the bad news is that once again, everything you knew, all the things that made you comfortable, many of those relationships that you enjoyed, the love that you had in your life, all of that is gone. Here's the question of this series. Make sure you catch this question. If the person sitting next to you is asleep, this would be a good time to wake them up. You want to make sure they catch this. How are you persevering through the pains of life? How are you persevering through the pains of life? Here's reality. Pain is one of the common denominators of being alive. Everybody in this room has pain. We all go through challenges. We all go through disappointments. How are you going to persevere through that pain? How are you going to keep on going. Well, there's really two ways that we persevere through pain. One is we persevere in pride. The other is we persevere in humility. Whenever we choose to persevere in pride, we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm now facing a challenge, but I'm going to white knuckle my way through it. I'm going to work harder. I'm a shelf-made man. I'm a Texan, and I can handle this. I can run over it. If anybody gets in my way, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to take the bull by the horns, and I'm going to get there. 
And so we take on life and we take on that pain and we begin making progress. But for every accomplishment that we make, we create an equal mess. And so we look and we say, well, I've done this, 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 this. And then there's all these messes that we're trying to clean up over here. And we put all this effort into it and we try and try and try. And the more effort we put into it, it seems like it's only matched by our frustrations. Are you going to persevere through that pain in pride? Are you going to persevere through that pain in humility? Now stick with me because that's not a soft word. Humility doesn't mean that you don't try. It doesn't mean that you don't work. It doesn't mean that you don't have to put in effort. But whenever we persevere through pain in humility, we embrace grace. We realize that we are forgiven through grace. We realize that we are who we are because of the grace of God. We realize that it is grace that has brought me safe thus far and grace that will lead me home. We embrace grace and we trust in God. We begin employing this word called faith in our life. And we realize that God is in control of things. And we realize that there's only so much that I can really control, but then there's all this other part of life that I've just got to trust God for. And so instead of living my life as self-sufficient and I'm going to take it and I'm going to handle it, instead I'm going to learn to live my life in faith. Now, when you embrace grace and realize that you are who you are because of grace, and whenever you embrace faith and realize that God is ultimately in charge of those things that, that you can't be, that God's got this, whenever you embrace those two things, it frees you to do something else. Are you ready for this? It frees you to start looking for the goodness, for the joy, for the opportunity, for the love that is right in front of you. Because I I promise you this, even though the story that you wrote uh, may have taken a lot of detours along the way, you say, Lash, it's taken a lot of detours. Even though the story you have written has taken some turns, There is love and there is goodness and there is joy and there is opportunity right in front of you. And whenever you learn to embrace grace and trust God, it frees you to begin seeing those moments and seizing those moments. God was doing a great work in Joseph so that he could eventually do a great work through Joseph. I say it again. At some point... You have to quit asking the question, God, what are you trying to do to me? And start asking the question, God, what are you doing in me? Because whenever you look in your heart, when you look into your life, you realize that even through some of those pains and through some of those disappointments, God is maturing you. He's growing you. He's shaping you. He's calling you unto himself and making you more like him. And He can take your life. He can take your pain. And He can do a great work through you. God was doing a work in the life of this spoiled boy. He was making a great man out of him. And I believe this about your life as well. I believe God's doing a work in your life. And I believe that God can use your life in ways that make much of Him. Embrace grace. Trust Him. Start looking around.
There's a lot of good. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of love right in front of you. Seize it. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. Paul and the band are going to come lead us in the song Sanctuary. Uh, Before we sing, I want to let you know I'll be here at the front row. If today you need to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, come see me. I'd love to help you make that decision today in your life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, it's always my honor to pray with you. Come see me. Uh, Maybe as the the band leads us in the song, the scriptures have spoken to you, and during this time you just need to pray, and so you can pray at your seat. You can come forward and pray if you would like. Maybe there's somebody that you want to pray with during this time, and feel free to go over and pray with them. Perhaps God has put some thoughts in your mind that you just need to get down on paper, and so as others are singing, you just need to write out what God is speaking to you right now and, and journal those thoughts. This is a time where we respond back to God through singing and prayer, committing our hearts to Him. Father, we bow before You, and Lord, we are, we are so very, very human. Lord, we realize that there is goodness in being human, that You have created us in Your image, that You have sent Your Son so that we might be redeemed, and that You use humanity to reflect your grace and love throughout your creation. But Father, we also realize that in being human, we have disappointment. We live in a world that is saturated and stained by sin. And so everybody in this room has been hurt. Everybody in this room has hurt others. And Lord, it's easy for us to get crippled, to get angry, to clench our fist. And to stop. I pray, Father, that we might realize that you are doing a work within us. Help us to realize, Lord, that our story is your story. And, Lord, help us to realize that we're not always the star of the show, that you are. And so, Lord, may we look for those opportunities to make much of you. Father, may we not live somebody else's life, or may we not live a life that we've imagined in our mind, but Lord, may we love our spouse, may we love our family, may we live the life you've given us, and may we find the love and the joy and the opportunity that's right in front of us. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the journey. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.